0: Okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee LeGrand. And I'm Tanya Bevan. Welcome to our very first episode. Woohoo! So excited to be kicking this off. We have a bunch of really fun material that we're going to be sharing with you. Yeah. We thought we would take this first episode to share our reasons why we're doing this with you, give you a little bit of an introduction to ourselves. And we get to introduce to you our resident psychotherapist, Rosanna Zamet. We are so fortunate to have her as a regular guest speaker and somebody who will be speaking to all of the topics that we cover in depth. What's incredible about having her as a part of our podcast is not only that she's been a therapist for several years, a couples counselor, a psychotherapist... And all of her contact information will be readily available at the end of this podcast. But she is also a film producer and an ex-lawyer, so a lot of the material that we cover is wide-ranging. To start off, why don't we introduce ourselves, give our audience members a little bit about our background, our history. Tanya, how'd you come to be an actor?
1: I hate that question. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I was born into this industry. Is your family in the industry? No, not at all. I just feel like it was like, oh, hey, this is what you're gonna do, sucker. That's what the
0: world told you. The world was like,
1: no, more like the universe was like, hey, yeah, you ain't gonna be a doctor, you ain't gonna be a teacher, you're not gonna be an engineer. Mm -mm, mm No little little
0: pinky finger ring mm -mm. for you.
1: You're gonna be entertaining people. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. It's a tough world real fucking tough but no i am um, i always loved the limelight as a child i am um, i grew up figure skating gymnastics dancing singing acting seventh grade is probably when it all came around i auditioned for the musical annie in school and i got annie <laughs> surprise so ever since then it was all downhill or uphill depending on which hill you like to take um, so yeah, since seventh grade, I've always been in the industry of entertainment. So, other than that, I... That's how it all happened. From one audition in seventh grade.
0: What's the industry
1: like in seventh grade? You don't know what it is in seventh grade. You're just like, sweet! um I'm telling stories, everybody! I am a star! And that's what I thought. Well, no, I didn't. I just really liked to entertain and... Change people's minds on the outcome of life. Seventh grade Tanya wanted to change people's (laughs) outcomes of life. No, that's like 29-year-old Tanya thinking about seventh grade Tanya. No. Seventh grade Tanya just really enjoyed singing and dancing and entertaining people and being in front of humans. Do you still enjoy
0: singing and dancing and being in front of humans as much as you did? As much as 7th grade Tanya
1: did? Not as much as 7th grade Tanya did, because 7th grade Tanya enjoyed that without any cares of the world, but when 7th grade Tanya grew up, judgment and all those things came in effect, and you know, that kind of... The harsh realities the of harsh our The harsh reality of our industries came in effect. But I mean, I'm still here, I'm still trying, so 7th grade Tanya is still in there somewhere.
0: Good for you, because not many people make it to this point. That means you also have a background in dancing, singing, arts. Did you go to school for
1: arts? Oh yes. I mean, I high school. I auditioned for a musical, or I guess you should say a, a school, a high school of the arts. So I was there doing drama, dance, singing. I did a little bit of painting, not as much as I feel like I should have. That came in a later life, but um, I was always entertaining. I was always artistic. I I kept doing that from 7th grade to where I am right now. Do you find it difficult where you are right now? Oh, yeah. So why do you keep going? Because I don't know what else I would do. There's nothing else I want to do. It's just the... the, uh, (laughs) Why do I keep going? I don't know. I don't fucking oh God, know. We're quitting the podcast now. <laughs> why? 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 That is a good question. That is probably why I have a question mark tattooed on me is why. I don't fucking know. No, but really, I, I, I don't know why, but it's funny that you say that, because if I knew why, if there was anything else in this world that gave me the thrill of what I do when I am entertaining... I would be doing that instead, but it doesn't. Have you ever had an interest in any other industry? No. I... no. Everything I think about when it comes to on and off stage is either I would love to learn how to be a casting director. I would love to learn how to do special effects for makeup. I would love to be a makeup artist. I would love to do set design. It's all entertainment industry. There's absolutely nothing in my life, that is not geared towards entertainment, and I don't know what else I would want to do. I may not be an actor from ten years from now, but I know I'd still be in this industry somehow, whether it be casting, or, or makeup, or hair design, or set design, but I know it would still be this industry. Why? I don't know, but I just know. You knew I was going to ask why. I know, that's why I answered it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty vast industry. It's so interesting. And there are so many different roles that you could take in industry. It doesn't necessarily... Uh, I mean, being an actor, especially these days, doesn't mean that you're only going to act.
1: No, exactly.
0: Knowing more about other roles in filmmaking, in theatrical pieces, in anything entertainment industry related only helps, I believe, enhance your work as an actor or Mm -hmm. whatever role you choose to take in the industry. I
1: agree.
0: So you came to it because it was a feeling of necessity. You felt like you were born into the role.
1: I feel like I was because I was, I'm sure you may have been, or you know people who were that little girl in front of the camera that were like, Mom, look what I can do! And you just do a cartwheel. You were Stuart
0: from SNL. Yeah, like, Circa... look what I can do! Circa 95?
1: 19... Mm, was It was 95? I, I was
0: going to say 98. Maybe.
1: Yeah, but Gold. I was that, that girl that just... I mean, as introverted as I was, I loved to get excitement from someone being like, Oh, wow, that was cool. You know, like... The whole, like, oh my god, like, wow. You know, like, a different outcome from a human's thought. I think I've always had that in me to get emotions out of a human. Seeking reactions. Yeah. I like to see reactions of other You're a button pusher. I love to push buttons. I was that little jerk that did not push the button, or did push the button that said, do not push the button.
0: When I was in kindergarten, I believe? My mother has told me a story about a time that she took a shower, and during the time that she was in the shower, I decided that I'd figure out how to use the phone. So I picked up the phone, was wise enough to coordinate the numbers that were listed on the phone, which were obviously emergency numbers, and I dialed one of them into the phone. The fire <laughs> department picked up, uh, questioned whether or not I had an emergency in... Made me stay on the phone until my mother came out of the shower because I was readily available to share everything about my life. <laughs> like, Ooh, no, I'm all great. It's, my mom's just taking a shower and I'm super bored. This is what like four year old me.
1: Nice.
0: And my mother came out of the shower so embarrassed. What is so great about this story is that a week later, my kindergarten class got to do a field trip to the local fire station, and my mother pointed out that I was that child who called in and they all knew exactly what you are talking about. That's amazing. No. So being a button pusher, I
1: understand. You're a button pusher, too. Legit. Legit. The most literal point. You hashtagged 911 back in the day. That's really funny, though.
0: I'm so excited that for this episode we get to talk to Rose Zamet. Rosanna Zamet.
1: That's a name. Rosanna Zamet. Rosanna, Zanna, Rosanna, Zanna!
0: We sing your name! Um, (laughs) In the psychotherapy world, she is known as her full name, Rosanna, but she, being a good friend of mine, is known as Rose to so many of her close friends. Here's a good question for you. The way that mental health is depicted in mass media culture these days?
1: I think it's changed. Oh, a lot. I didn't finish my
0: question, I just said oh. some words.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to finish your cheese junk. <laughs> I realized I
0: shoved food into my mouth halfway between my sentence was finished. So I'm just gonna let you talk. What was I saying though? I don't remember. Mental health, the way that it's depicted. Today, these days, in film, television, the
1: news—I think it's changing. Um, the other day I saw a video on a athletic. What do you call it? muscle? What do you? What are those shows where like you're showing your muscles? Those muscle shows. Jersey Shore. No, no, it's like those competitions. <laughs> The situation? No situation. No. Anyway, so there's this gentleman with Tourette's and he was like doing those muscle shows. You sure?
0: The situation. We're keeping
1: that no. so going to like mental health awareness, it was <laughs> No, but back in the day everyone had a negative outcome on mental health and I think it's changed a lot throughout the years where it's more of a positive thing now and people are coming to terms that it's a real thing.
0: When you say positive, you mean that people are more accepting More when, accepting. when it comes to talking about it.
1: Talking about it, seeing it in the public eye. I mean, and I just, it's, I feel like they're trying to bring it more to the surface as opposed to hiding it. When back in the day, they would hide these mental health issues. Well, that's
0: a bit of a relief, I guess.
1: Yes. I suppose,
0: because Mm -hmm. if we are more open today to speaking about mental health issues, maybe that means that people who are dealing with mental health issues are more open to acknowledging them, which as we all know, is the first step to dealing with them. So
1: I feel like people are embarrassed about it. People are more attuned to it now. They there's more awareness of it so that people can understand not everyone is the same. That's a
0: huge struggle, especially when it comes to the entertainment industry the fact that not everybody is the same, you think about the structure of a story necessitates particular story elements and particular hero struggles. Your main character has to go through a particular struggle, has to have certain goals, whether they're internal or external, and it has to be something that everybody can relate to. Yeah. But at the same time, We are not a singular issue society. Even as an individual, I do not have one particular struggle, and I do not have one particular goal. We are all very complex human beings. And as much as I love using a very structured format, a.k.a. the feature film Mm -hmm. or a, a television episode, that is a very easy way of understanding and identifying with the protagonist of a story. I love it. I love, love, love being able to use entertainment to connect with audiences about a particular topic or to connect with them on a certain emotional level. Mm -hmm. But the problem with storytelling, I think, as a whole even though I think that it's magic, is that you have to boil it down. You have to choose one thing. You have to be very decisive. You have to be specific about all of the details from beginning to end and the unfortunate circumstance. It necessitates that you cut away so much of truth. So you buy into this idea that Having so many voices in your head, having so many struggles, having so much complexity to your life is almost a bad thing. It's not supposed to be the way that life is.
1: That's because we're taught that.
0: Absolutely. By films, by television shows, by advertising. As you grow smaller in duration of whatever sort of mass media you put out there, especially when it comes to commercial, you have a very limited amount of time to put a character out there that your audience members can identify with. Mm -hmm. And you do so by means of stereotypes, by archetypes. And then you need to get your message across to your audience members, which when it comes to specifically advertisements, you have a very biased agenda your goal is to sell a product. So it's not even about the story. You're now leaning on a story or manipulating and using a story in order to sell a product. Yeah. So it can do a number on your audience member's psyches when you're not even looking to help ameliorate society's situation or mental health. You're trying to use it, in a sense, to sell and build your own business
1: yeah i don't know it's totally off topic but when you're thinking when you're saying about the world is small i was doing an audition reading and one of the lines was the thing is it's a very small world and as you get older it gets smaller so true it's weird
0: you get older you meet more people but you also have a larger understanding a wider understanding of what we're doing here what what Human behavior is geared towards.
1: Yeah. It can be sad. Yeah, it's crazy. It's real cray. Cray cray. Cray cray. That shit cray, yeah. Love slash hate the word cray (laughs) cray. Right?
0: But speaking of cray cray, you know a little bit about us as individuals. Where we come from, what we do, how we feel. We'll probably talk about how we feel all the time.
1: We like feelings. We love
0: feelings
1: without feeling you're just numb
0: mhm
1: yeah yeah that's, that's not bad
0: eh? I think that's pretty bang on pretty honest too I mean I've, I've spent some decent time feeling numb and looking back on the moments where I have numbed myself mhm I for sure know the difference between feelings and not feelings
1: yeah I'm pretty much a robot mhm like a human robot because I know when I'm being a robot and when I'm not being a robot.
0: Do you like being a robot? No. Because I'm, I'm going to admit, sometimes, and no, I think this is... Sometimes I do. I, I think that this is something that we've come to covet in today's day and age, today's society, especially for women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the idea of being robotic is a super romantic notion for me. I'm speaking personally, but the idea (laughs) of not having feelings, not, not, especially in the corporate world, you, I know as women, I have, as multiple women, I have experienced this. I think the notion of being robotic, pushing emotions aside, getting the job done is coveted. In today's world, especially in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And because there is a rap that we deal with as women that stereotype that women are more emotional than men, I think that women experience, still experience today a pressure to keep their emotions in check in order to be able to go head-to-head business-wise with men. So wanting to be successful as a woman for me sometimes it equivocates to being able to subdue your emotions and yeah be a little bit more robotic
1: no i agree um <laughs> yeah i agree yep arm pump um well i i i i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> pretty grateful for the fact that i'm not really in a workforce where i need to subdued my emotions I mean I'm, I'm not I mean I am business oriented but in a completely different sense of my own business and I can be as damn emotional as I want because I'm not in front of other humans so what do you mean by that I mean I we work for ourselves we're doing our own work we're doing our own business but I mean if I were to be working for as an actor you mean As an actor, yeah, and we're allowed to use emotion as an actor, so I don't think I've ever caged my emotions in a sense of, eh, that's a lie. (laughs) Do you not
0: feel an extra layer of pressure when it comes to being, to having to control your emotions?
1: Yes. um,
0: As an actor? As an actor.
1: I guess I don't know business and emotions. I don't do business. You don't do business. Yes, you
0: do. You have to run your own business. You're an actor.
1: I know, but I don't.
0: In the service, and you as an actor, you're part of the service industry. You provide a service. You provide acting.
1: Exactly, but I'm allowed to provide emotion in that service.
0: But every script that you tie yourself into dictates your emotion for that scene. Do you not find? Don't
1: in you find the that underlining you have... sense. Yes, because I mean. Each person doing the same script can have a completely different emotion.
0: You mean as different
1: characters? No, same scene, different emotions.
0: Okay, but I mean, like, if you're hired (laughs) onto a fucking film. Okay. Okay, yes. Like, we're not talking the interview process, the audition process. We're talking you get the job, and you're on the job. Yes. In that scene, typically, the writer has already chosen an emotion for you. You have an arc... The writer has written it, and you have to follow it. Do you not find that that's different from when you walk on to set? If you're having a bad day, and you walk onto set, and you go into the makeup room, you can't act like a diva and throw your latte against the wall. You'd be
1: losing your job in an instant, and you wouldn't be working at all.
0: Exactly, but I think that that's the hyperbole that a lot of... Okay. That society sometimes uses as that exaggerated analogy of how a woman's emotions can be out of control in a business sense. And that's what I find oppressive in the sense that when we step onto set where, yes, there are quote-unquote divas. I'm not trying to...
1: Men can be divas too, that, I'm
0: Exactly. I'm not trying to segregate genders with mm-hmm. that term,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but... From the moment that you step onto set, from the moment you start corresponding with producers, um, with your agent, even your relationship with your agent, it should be done in a professional manner. And it's business. And if you bring emotions into those steps of the process, then it can take away from your credibility as a business person. Your emotions in a character are a completely different story.
1: As a business person, as an actor, I think you need to be more gentle with your emotions because if you're lucky enough to be like an A-lister actor, people are watching you 24-7. They're waiting for you to fuck up. They're waiting to see you throw a fit because you didn't get the pink crayon when you wanted the pink crayon. They're, you get crowns on set sometimes if you're doing a child show. Does <laughs> your producer take you to Jackass? Well, sorry, no. I mean, you you wanted just green M Ms, and you got all of them. You know, like so you,
0: you have know. to pick through your own M Ms yeah, to get like, to the green ones. I just
1: wanted the green M Ms. Like, how hard is that for someone to understand? It's not really hard. But it's not, to be honest. It's a deeper emotion. <laughs> it's totally it's just a deeper back request and everything that I was trying to say. No, but I think, I think, I think, um, being an actor, you do have to suppress your emotions on the business side, not the work side. Is that what you mean?
0: Well, I think that that kind of crosses our entertainment industry boundaries and bleeds into any other job, Mm -hmm. any other industry. You need to be able to control your emotions in, sorry, I don't want to say control your emotions. I think that's the wrong way of putting it. I think that... Your emotions are absolutely valid, and that's a great thing to to acknowledge within yourself. The way Mm -hmm. you act upon them, your actions, which are separate from your emotions, that's what you need to keep in check. Oh, completely. That's what builds your reputation. I think that there is too much of a convergence between understanding what your emotions and your actions are, and how they are absolutely linked, but very separate from one another. As an actor, we need to be able to explore those emotions and portray them through our actions because Mm -hmm. that's what we're showing on screen. But there's still, the social sciences are still so young in understanding what that gray area consists of between emotions and actions and how exactly where our importance needs to lie when it comes to, Dealing with, I I hesitate to use the word control or repression, but understanding how we let our emotions dictate or affect our actions.
1: Because there's, again, what I said before, actions speak louder than words. You can be in a very sad mindset, but no one may not know because of the actions you're taking for that sad mindset.
0: So then, do actions speak louder than words? If you're
1: repressing, if you're not acting out on however you're feeling... You could be acting out wrong, though. Like my sadness to you might be anger or hate, the way I'm acting
0: out. Okay, so it comes down to communication. Your actions are that communication. So I mean, the words on a page, on a script, can be read by anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody can read them.
1: And can be depicted completely different by each person.
0: But when you go in and you're that one actor in the audition room that leaves an impression that is different from everybody else, that means that, sure, you've taken the exact same words as everyone else, but you've played them into actions that are yeah. a different message. You're communicating a different message and you're leaving a different impression. Mm-hmm. That's what's really interesting about your actions. I mean, no one will ever know exactly how you're feeling. Nobody will will be able to delve into your soul, but the way that you express those emotions, those words off the page as an actor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what dictates the impression you leave on your audience members or even just in a conversation with the other person. <laughs> Even when it comes to arguments between friends or in relationships, like romantic relationships, 90% of the communication is nonverbal. It's how you're saying it, it's the movement of your body, it's the tone of your voice.
1: Yeah, but when did it come to that?
0: Oh, God, caveman days. I think so. Yeah, because they didn't have words, so it was all nonverbal communication. It's true. It was grunting and thrusting.
1: Grunting and thrusting <laughs> My, I my still... two favorite things. <laughs>
0: I don't think that those are the best forms of communication. They're the most honest. They are the most Words honest. complicate things.
1: Words do complicate things. Sometimes you can't find the right word. So you just grunt and thrust. Why am I doing this? Because people need to know it's okay to feel.
0: Why did you choose getting into the arts? What does that give to the world?
1: You know what's funny? I don't know. I don't know why I chose to be in the arts. I don't know if you saw that thing I posted. I think you commented on it And the guy, that documentary that's coming out about that ballerina from Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I didn't choose ballet. I am ballet. That's how I feel about my life in the arts, because I tell everyone... Who asks me why I do this? I say I don't know, but if I had another passion in life, I'd probably be doing it.
0: Because you follow your passion.
1: Yeah, huh. but why is it my passion? I have no idea. It's why is in my blood.
0: Why is passion important to you? Why did you not get a job as a banker just to support yourself financially?
1: Because it's boring. I like I like adventure. I'd like I like to learn new things. I like to. Explore and and see what's out there, and I like knowing what other people are going through. Like, it's. I don't like the same thing nine to five every single day. I couldn't do that. The fact that I'm still living in the same city for 10 years is surprising to me.
0: Yeah, I'm a travel bug too. It's
1: not even that, I'm a change bug. I like change.
0: A change bug. That is such a good way of putting it.
1: I'm a caterpillar that wants to turn into a butterfly and then turn into a caterpillar and then turn into a butterfly again. You gotta die first. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a reincarnation. I like reincarnation.
0: Within the same lifetime.
1: Within the same lifetime. So you
0: believe in reincarnation but within the same lifetime.
1: It's funny. There once was a quote by, would it be Drake, YOLO.
0: I'm pretty sure you credit every quote to Drake. Yes. But go ahead. But is that
1: Drake? YOLO is Drake? I don't know. Anyway, so... I think it's Drake along with every 12-year-old girl. Lame, no offense to whomever decided YOLO was a cool thing. It's lame. YOLO, you only live once. No, you live every fucking day. You only die once. And do you actually really die if we're getting really metaphorical and philosophical? Whatever big words are. You know? I don't want to get philosophical. Anyways, that so sounds whole, petrifying. The whole YOLO thing. No, you live every single day and you wake up every single day. You can change how you are every single day. You don't have to be the same person you were yesterday. It's a choice.
0: So, does that mean that you will always be in the arts, or might you follow a different path tomorrow if you can't? I don't h- know.
1: Who knows? I may bump my head and wake up and be like, I want to be a philanthropist. piss. Whatever that is, I don't even know what that is. Well, the if you bumped band? your
0: head, I'm sure that that's how you'd be saying it
1: anyway. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know. That's, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So why do you tell stories? What
0: do you love about telling stories?
1: It's an adventure. I, it's a change from what I'm doing right now.
0: Would you ever try to convince somebody to leave their, like, nine-to-five bank job and follow adventure? Or are they cool to do whatever they want?
1: I don't convince people of anything. I don't like to convince people. But I will tell them stories of my life, and if it makes them want to change, so be it. But I'm not gonna tell them, oh my god, you need to quit your job and I like to I like to put a light in someone's head to change an idea of what they've been thinking of an idea for so long.
0: But if you put that light in their head, if you turn that light on and that room's just empty for them, you're okay with walking away and letting them be like, cool, I saw nothing here, and turn the light off and going back to their life? It's
1: their choice. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right answer, but...
0: There's no right answer. That's um... just a really cool... That's an interesting reason to produce art because I know a lot of filmmakers or writers who are looking to make change in a more forceful way. But I think you have a very honest and admirable approach to creating art because you cannot force anybody. You can put your story out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing to share because I think it takes vulnerability to share any kind of story, any kind of truth. But I think that I also, I also know many filmmakers who, you know, if they don't have, if their story that they're putting out there does not affect change, that's going to be soul crushing for them.
1: I don't, I don't, for me, I don't think it's change that I want to affect. I want to affect their emotions or the thought to change the thought of something they were thinking. Not so much change the world or, or something, but to open one's eyes. It may not open their eyes forever. It may just open their eyes for the hour and a half that they're watching that film. But to see a different perspective, a different way of something, not so much changing. Isn't that causality for change? Yes and no. depends on how much you want to change within yourself. There's only so much one person can do to change something. You can't really change someone. Just like trying to date a guy who's a huge douchebag all his life, and you're like, I'm going to change him, I'm going to change him. Are you really, are you really going to change him? No, you're not. The plot. Unless they want to be changed. The plot
0: of every rom-com. Exactly. And yet we still
1: act in every rom-com. Life is a rom-com, yo. (laughs) Oh, so true. I guess in a sense there is a little bit of, I want to change, but...
0: A change in the world. I want to
1: cause a a change, but I don't know if it takes more than one person to change the world. I just want people to open their eyes to other perspectives of ideas. Not to be so close-minded. Yeah. Is it not
0: possible that change can start with one person?
1: Yes. No, I agree 110%.
0: So if you were to start a ripple effect, start a butterfly effect or a domino effect, what other analogy you want to use, if you wanted to create some sort of change, what is the change that you would want to see? We're using a new form of media. We're using a podcast which is just beginning to come into light, just becoming uh, popular these days. And we're talking about things that we're passionate about. We're passionate about them because there's something in this world that we see as a discrepancy
1: the things I would change I mean within this podcast what I want to change is the one main thing is perspective of mental illness and how it it is a a a dark corner that people don't like to walk into it's 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 just that people are scared of it and it needs to be open-minded but if I were to change the world I would want equalness which again kind of goes along the lines of mental illness like everyone is equal doesn't matter if you're black white purple orange have autism have have whatever it is it's an equalness in the world and understanding I want if I were to bring change to the world I won't want understanding of everything
0: (laughs) I like the analogy you bring up of um, the dark corner of mental illness. Yeah. It's kind of an idea where we don't like to turn the light on in that corner to actually see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of not wanting to look at something or address it or speak about it stems from fear.
1: Hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking in my head. It is a fear and maybe the change is to get rid of fear.
0: I think that's the root cause of every social issue. It's, it's it's fear. Your actions stem from either a place of love or of fear. And if we harp on that fear, if we try to get <laughs> to bring it across the border, take a look at the message of harping on the fear of Americans and it's it's so easy to I don't even know if I want to talk about the states in this part, but it's so easy to appeal to fear in order to drive oh, some completely. sort of social change because everybody's afraid of something and everybody wants to keep themselves safe from whatever it is that they're afraid of.
1: Going on this whole politic thing about fear, when you hear the word terrorism, what's the first word that comes to your head?
0: Terror. That's for a very particular reason. Fear. But that's that just goes to prove how much words matter in communication a lot of the time we don't realize the profound effect that words can have on you the profound effect that that images can have on you the profound effect that movies can have on you the, the profound effect of communication sometimes we just fly by the seat of our pants and say things I think for
1: people don't realize the profound effect because we are so used to having it all around us nowadays
0: It's, uh, I guess, saddening to know that our world has reached a level of being so intellectual, so smart with understanding how we work on a subconscious level and then using that against us in order to sell us something that we don't need. We fear having wrinkles, so we buy a wrinkle cream. We fear not being happy, so we take a look at a billboard of a beautiful beachy sand and that's telling us that it's gonna solve all our problems and make us happy. Go
1: to the beach, Julia. Work
0: till you get to that weekend and can go to the beach. I'm on the same page as you as far as wanting to do what we can. I know it's a grand feat. We're not looking to change the world overnight because that's Mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. I don't you know what? I don't like to say impossible. We're unicorns, we can do anything. Totally. The fact that we've gotten to a point in this world where we're just we're outsmarting one another on the most intricate levels to use and abuse our forms of communication our system of communication to move ahead financially as opposed to coming together and being one in mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. beautiful hippie sense it's a hippies podcast welcome to the two unicorns what the knock
1: what the knock
0: at the end of the day we don't have all of the answers and it's i don't think it's either of our goals
1: no, I don't want to have all the answers. I want to ask all the questions. Exactly. That's why I got a question mark on my wrist. I love it. You'll probably see it in some of the promo photos. <laughs> Actually, someone the other day asked me why I have a question mark tattoo. And I was like, well, why not? And he's like, but, but why do you have a question mark tattoo? And I was like, because I question everything. And he's like, why do you question everything? And I just scratched my head and I said, I don't know. And he's like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> Way to get meta on him.
0: I'll be putting this up online for our audience members, but...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I told you about this? I think so.
0: Okay, so this is uh, proof that I'm a huge nerd. But in my final year of university, my thesis professor read a... I guess this was an adaptation from a commencement address that was given by Mark Danner at Berkeley in 2005. And her her version of it, I saw her reading from a piece of paper and uh, her version of this adaptation was still so incredibly moving that it stuck with me so much so that it forced me to go up. It moved me to go up to the front of the room and ask her if I could have the piece of paper. So I have her exit speech essentially (laughs) from one of my courses with her and it's all about questions. It's all about I mean, basically, that was what my specialization in university was, asking questions. Hmm. It's become super annoying for a lot of people who are close to me, my family and employers. and It's great. But I will be recording this and putting it up on our podcast so other people can hear it, because I think it's inspirational as well. Very moving.
1: I'm excited to hear that.
0: Mm -hmm. But I'm on the same page. I think that... We're not looking to give all the solutions. We're just looking to create a space where people can continue the conversation. This podcast, what we're creating is not a forum of solutions. It's a space for the conversation. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, I think solution will come from exploring further and conversing further in the realm of mental health and trying to understand how we can all find that balance together in order to get ourselves onto a platform where we can grow further, either technologically or corporately. We can grow from a place that is healthier and it's not going to be killing our society.
1: Mm -hmm. Communication is key.
0: To quote Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. So in order to keep talking to people who are looking to push our World forward technologically or in a business sense, um, we're hopping onto the new forms of medium. We're starting a podcast.
1: Woo. That was a high five, just so you know.
0: Yeah. I was chatting with a friend who asked me why I was making a podcast, and he that usually people who get involved in wanting to speak about mental health have very personal reasons or personal experiences as far as mental illness goes. And that had me thinking because I, I didn't have one reason. I didn't have one particular solid example of, I guess you could say, thinking in story terms or in film terms, like mm-hmm. that climactic moment where it's like, oh, this is the reason why a character acts the way they do. Or this yeah. is the reason why I'm making this podcast. And I, I guess my answer to him was, I, you'll have to listen to every episode to <laughs> hear the reasons why. Because I'm sure they'll come out over. A lot of my personal experiences are going to be broadcasted through mm-hmm. this medium. And, um, and that's kind of the point, is just to open up the conversation and talk about personal experiences. And be vulnerable in that sense. I spoke about, you know, uh, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and and being pretty young, understanding what that was, dealing with with that before she passed was a complicated situation for me. I have my own experiences with depression and anxiety and uh, maybe not to the same extent that some of our listeners might or that other people might, but I... Have also experienced speaking with different counselors and therapists and have found great gain out of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of my, I guess you could say, therapeutic release comes from my job, comes from being able to act. Now, I think that there is a very distinguishable difference that you need to hold in your mind as far as completing a job and being able to find the emotional release through it. Yeah but it's a gray area in our world as actors. But my reason why I realize I don't have one particular reason. And the reasons why I am making this podcast are going to come out episode to episode as we start sharing bits about our worlds and our lives and being vulnerable with our audience members, the same way that we're looking to find and turn from the rest of our audience or the rest of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. I've, I, I think I'm blessed to have gone to a high school where we had a program for, um, I don't want to call them mentally ill because they're not, they're humans, they're the same as us, they just have a different brain wave, a brain Oh, the casting. special needs program? Special needs programs, yeah. We had that at my high school growing up and I was very blessed because, I mean, I got to learn and see. A lot of people don't get to experience having that in their life on a daily basis. Um. Lots of cerebral palsy, um, autism. Um. I can, cerebral palsy and autism seem to be the biggest ones I find in that sense. Um. But, do they have, to, but do they have programs, um,
0: or counseling for those for who have regular students. No, but I mean, but did they have programs that offered aid to those dealing with other mental illnesses like depression or anxiety or bipolar oh, that, disorders?
1: That I don't know. I know we have we definitely have counselors every single school would hopefully have counselors for that. But.
0: but that's very interesting because my high school also had programs for people who had more recognized uh, mental so we disabilities. Didn't have that, no. But I don't remember. Much talk about programs for people just dealing with depression, not just, but people dealing with depression or anxiety or um, addictions. Like I don't remember, I don't remember that being a thing. Maybe it no. was, but it wasn't talked enough, talked about enough for me to know about it. Yeah,
1: I don't. I agree. I think it was probably a thing, and that's what I think counselors in the school industry were there for, but no one ever really knew. Like, as a, as a high school student, I'm not going to go to my counselor and be like, hey, I'm having feelings. Why not? Because that's not cool. Feelings aren't cool when you're in high school. You know, like, you gotta be cool. But now at almost 30, what is cool?
0: And it's cool to talk about your feelings. We, right? we made it our profession to
1: emote. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like those outlets were there. It's just they weren't A, recognized, and B, they weren't... I guess recognized is A and B because we... It wasn't... Announced, that's the word I was looking for. It's not something to be like, hey, just so you know, aside from soccer, we have another after-school activity talking about feelings. That's oh, how
0: cool would that be these days to go into a high school like, and be like, yo, extracurricular activity, we're talking about our feelings in the Great Hall, see you there at 425. talking
1: about crying.
0: I'm sure so many people would show up. You know?
1: So I just, I feel like it wasn't as apparent when we were younger, as in nowadays you see all these commercials about mental health. Back when we were younger, did, do you remember any commercials on mental health? No. And love I love that. if I do, it was all those, like, medical commercials and, like, that's all you the, know about mental health is take drugs to numb your brain. That's my
0: favorite part about those old school medication commercials At the very end, where they place the, hey, this is the part where we're going to talk about really important things, but you'll probably not even realize it because we don't have any shift in our tone of voice and everything's monotone. You're not going to be able to retain any of this information,
1: but try our drag, here's a butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, going back to the why, like you, it's, I don't, I, I have so many reasons as to why that I don't know why. It's everything. It's, I think... You and I both, as is a reason why we're doing this, is we're sick of it. We're sick of it being on the back burner. We want people to do something about it. We want people to be aware that it's it's human. It's life. That is life.
0: As we find resources, we will continually keep them available for our audience members. Yes. What's cool is that a lot of the people contributing to our podcast and joining in on the conversation are incredible resources when it comes to therapy, psychotherapy, not not even just going to talk to somebody in a one-on-one setting, but Healthy Minds Canada that is mm. going to be sponsoring our lunch with a, a yoga teacher. We'll have an entire day of yoga just to release our podcast initiative. As we collect resources and data, we're going to be sharing it with our audience members, with the public. So that, that in mind... We're bringing you to our resident psychotherapist, Rosanna.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be a part of this uh, podcast. Um, As Kelly said, I am a registered psychotherapist in Ontario, um, but I also have quite a lot of previous job history, shall we say. Uh, I was once a lawyer, um, and I've practiced for a number of years. Um, And then I decided to go back to school and become a psychotherapist because I just, I'm so passionate about mental health issues. And you just didn't
0: achieve enough. You're very much so an underachiever.
2: Well, you know, (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like, this is nice, but you know, I really am a therapist. So it was a (laughs) return to that. Um, And then also on the side, and this is actually how I I got to meet you, Kaylee, is through uh, the film industry. Um, I'm also a producer uh, and uh, a bunch of other things, production manager, assistant director, all these things, a bit of a writer. Uh, and I also have a background in in music as well. I've been the singer and and so forth. So, um, one of those jack of many trades uh, for sure. Your plate's um, not full enough. Well, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> the great thing, though, I love is that I kind of I like all these experiences. It's funny because a lot of people say to me like, "Well, you know, you left law, um, and you know, was that? Do you feel that was a waste?" And I find for a lot of times the experiences that I had, and I also continue having film and all those other things that I do that they really feed into and really help me in my work as a therapist because, um, I mean, every day I'm using a lot of the skills that I learn as a lawyer, I'm pulling together people's stories, understanding people, and I think too it gives me a really solid understanding of what a lot of people are going through as well, So, which is very helpful for me. Yeah. Um, so I have my own practice now, it's called Kind Mind Counseling Wellness Services, um, and yeah, basically I work with people, I also work with uh, film, you know film projects, helping them understand Uh, mental health issues and uh, even like therapy uh, and doing that kind of work as well and I I just love it I absolutely do. Which allows you
0: to speak so beautifully to the cross between the two the world of psychology and the entertainment industry because there are so many tight uh, connections between the two.
2: Very much and I, I see too so many of the issues that are being faced by people in the film industry I mean it's it's really hard on one's mental health this industry I'll be honest it really is and oh it's a beautiful combination of having to be thick skinned and thin skinned at the same time yes what a dichotomy it really is and you know you're dealing with creativity and you're, and there's so many external influences as well like I mean if you hear one more time you know follow your dreams you'll never work a day lovely sentiment but let's face it it's Bart, a little am I right yeah, excuse my <laughs> French a little bullshit I mean you know I mean there are days you can I, I love what I do there are days when I just want to stay in bed too um, 100% you know probably better than most people that I believe in magic I love the idea of magic but that it is not what gets you a job <laughs> yes exactly no. and then throw in all those fun little issues like family and friends don't understand what you do or they think that you should get a quote unquote a real job and it's a lot of pressures uh, for people in the artistic community like I'm well beyond even the film community I see also the music community too uh, that are kind of unique and that can be very tricky to navigate. Especially, if, uh, unfortunately, I'll say there's a lot of therapists. Sorry to say this, but a lot of therapists don't understand as well that those issues, and so I think it's hard even for them to get help for people in the industries. Uh, unfortunately, because there is this misconceptions mm-hmm. about people going through it and the realities. Of yeah. It. So yeah, it's an incredibly difficult
0: industry, and it's something. Um, it's a. Being an actor or being a producer, or be anybody in the entertainment industry, I find especially these days, you can't just wear one hat. You can't just be an actor and, and sit on your butt and wait for your agent to call what? and think, I know, oh, I'm so sorry that we're bursting so many people's dreams right now. That dream you're trying to follow where you sit on your couch and wait for your agent to call... Not a thing
2: anymore. There should be a grant right? that just says, I can sit on my butt and do this and just... Is yeah. that a job? Is that still a job somewhere? I'm get that job. I wanted to pop champagne bottles. There we go. Uh,
0: no, but it, very true. And I am so fortunate that you and I are... I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I met you through the entertainment industry and that you are so knowledgeable when it comes to the psychological world because even just sitting and speaking with you it has shaped my understanding of my role in this industry, and I get to lean on you for, we have coffee dates, and you're like my own personal therapist. I
2: love having you as such a close friend. Aw, well, thank you so much. I love you as close friend as well. You know, so, yeah. So, this is a singing bowl. Good. So, even stronger, and at the bottom especially. There you go. You're good. Good. My rings is that is so cool it's yeah. meditative
0: in the sense that, like you have a focus to try to keep it balanced and I can
2: feel it tingling in my hair. I know now. it's crazy isn't it? like, you can feel it tingling afterwards and during <laughs> right and there's something very special about tickling and everyone's a little different right each has a different tone different this one's just particularly strong and I'm not sure exactly why but it just uh, yeah something with it that is so cool yeah and i say it's from Holyale so it's from that retreat in Scotland oh, uh, which is yeah so weird got do, do you that. just spend
0: hours sitting in your office using
2: that? <laughs> I, I, would. Would. I would. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. But it's in between sessions. Between sessions, after very stressful it's Like okay, yes, the, yeah, let's use the the <laughs> bowl. that will calm the energy. Do you ever head. give
0: your um, patients and your clients? Do
2: they use it at all? Do they use it? No, not so much because it's. It's something that I've thought it was easy for certain people, but it can also be very strange for people, mm-hmm. and they can make you very nervous. Did you feel that when you were trying it? Did you feel very nervous? I can
0: still feel like I mean, yeah. I don't feel nervous. I feel excited, but yes. I'm naturally a very anxious person, and, and so I think <laughs> having something else to like focus on a lot of yeah. energy it it's almost like a
2: nice distraction for me. It's a cool vibration. No, most definitely, and it's an interesting tool as well because you have to both focus on the bowl you're trying to appreciate the sound at the same time you can feel the vibration in your arm and there's like all these different things that we don't want so yeah. it's, it's very cool that way it's hard to think about other things when you're actually using that it's not easy like no.
0: it's, it's fun and I think that I could get better at it over time but it's like rubbing your stomach and patting your head at the same time yes very it's a much. challenge
2: yeah it's a challenge but it's like a lot of things you do like with like uh, meditating and even chanting right like there's that idea of that sound and using sound to help both calm and also to focus which is very neat yeah because uh, chanting is a huge part I mean singing really in a lot of religions is chanting right? mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting to see how we use these things for- I, I started
0: with um, I for the longest time couldn't told myself "Quote unquote," couldn't meditate, mm. so um, my way in was kind of uh, a Buddhist approach. I used to do chanting with a local Buddhist group, yeah. um, and it was it was light practice for me. It was like a once a week thing. But I thought, okay, like I have difficulty sitting still and being quiet in a room, so just I don't know, being loud, just just screaming things or like making a no- a bunch of noise with a bunch of people. Sure, I can do that if that's meditation for me, and so. Uh, it actually became the whole Namyo uh, Horengekyo chant that they repeat yeah. became a mantra for me. Even just walking on the sidewalk, if I started to feel any kind of like stress or anxiety, I would watch the cracks of the sidewalk go by and chant. And I still do every once oh, in a while. Sometimes I'll lovely. I'll lean back on that and just yeah. repeat it until it takes me away from whatever my mind is wrapping
2: itself up on. That's so smart. And you know, it's interesting because with mindfulness, mindfulness is all the rage right now, right? And I use it quite a lot. But it's not for everyone, and it can be very hard as well to meditate. And I mean, I think people, a lot of people have this vision of, you know, yes. sitting there and you have no thoughts and you're blissed out. And meditation is not that. Right. I will say that. Well, actually, sorry. For some people, it is that. For it a lot, be. it can be, um, and that can be an effect as well. But for a lot of times, when you sit down and meditate, you're really facing your stuff. I mean, I remember my first all-day retreat. I. Uh, but we were in silence and I started meditating I was all ready because I was all excited and then I was like every thought I've never wanted to have came crashing in I literally fell over uh, oh
1: <laughs> because you, you,
2: what do you do with it you're sitting on a cushion and you're not <laughs> supposed to talk and you have a full like eight hours ahead of you of this
1: and I think Jeez. a lot of
2: people and so that's the thing is that I think a lot of people they feel bad like they're doing it wrong when actually a lot of meditation and mindfulness is about actually learning to listen and learning to see what's going on and it can be very scary when you start doing that because like, sometimes you don't like the stuff you're seeing, right? And mm-hmm. it's, um, but that's part of that work. Yeah. So, but yeah, so that's, it's interesting what you're saying about, you're having trouble with it because it's such a, so, so common for people. And I think a lot of people I thought, people then, yeah, I thought yeah. you were
0: to say, it's so calming. I'm like, what? No, <laughs> it's <That's> not. <laughs> common, yes. The difficulty. Common. It's common. Is common. It, yes.
2: And yes, it can be calming. I don't want to say it's not, but it's just, that's not, it's more of a, a possible effect. It's not the goal in a lot of this. Yeah. With, with mindfulness and meditation. At least the, the version that I use and and that I use with calm yeah yeah so it's good to know that yeah I think prior to experiencing any
0: kind of meditation because I have started doing meditation over the past four or five months I've been um get easing into it I guess you could say but I think I used to be part of that group that thought no I can't be quiet and still and, and invite my thoughts in and be calm mm-hmm. when that was what I thought that it was supposed to look like so at the end of any kind of yoga class like the the Classes that good life that end up and you have that ten minutes and corpse uh, pose when you're yeah, like corpse pose where I, I would be that one girl rolling on my mat being like excuse me sorry I'm no. a part of me I'm like climbing over people to get out of there I'm like this is just the part that I can't do like I can yeah. do the tai-bo I can do all of the tai chi whatever you want me to do I can do something that's physical and sweat but like once it gets to the Oh, sit and take a look at what's going on inside your head. I'm like, hey, I yeah, know, we don't do that here. Yeah. And so I leave. <laughs> this is Western society. Go, 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 um, go. <laughs> but, but my mother actually, who is a yogi, she's a yoga instructor, she, she sends me articles all the time. And, and uh, one that she recently sent to me talked about the fact that with meditation, uh, deceivingly, there is no goal you think that you're trying to achieve this calmness or that you're trying to get to a certain place of zen
2: and jokes on you there's no end goal and that's not what we're used to in western society no and it makes such a good point with it because i think a lot of times we practice thinking oh i'll get better and yet, like, I practiced on off for well over five years. And there's still times when I'm like, that was a pretty crappy... You judge yourself uh, oh on your gosh. meditation. <laughs> and it's called a practice for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the idea that, you know, it's by doing it and by trying and by, you know, engaging in it. That's, you know, that really is the, the quote-unquote goal. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like, that idea of a goal-focused society, it really, it can really trip people up. Sometimes they try to do this work because they're like, oh, I should be... Doing much better, and one of the things I'm always telling people actually is that don't be surprised if you may be doing very well, you may be seeing improvement, and then you might suddenly your your mood might crash. You might have a few bad days. That's very normal in all this, right? Because we can't be super happy all the time. Sorry to tell you that, right? Like what? Get I know. Me out of here! What is it? I know. Idea? I'm sorry. I know I'm destroying so much <laughs> podcast. Over. I know. I'm destroying the entire you know self help guru fantasy world right now. Every <laughs> section in the indigo just burned, <laughs> all self-help books just set in the flames. I know, I know, because you. But this is the thing though, right? Is you're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this work is about learning to, but not letting those bad days, you know, take over and let them become your entire life, right? And, and yeah. you know, and have it affect that, that viewpoint. Because they can moments? feel like that. That's right, very much. And it's about learning much more to actually accept what we're feeling instead of pushing it away. I, thought about, I think a lot of people come to meditation and therapy thinking, I want to learn better ways to push my emotions away and be more of a robot. Yes! Right? And oh, if only <laughs> I dream
0: of being a robot. You know, I mean, we are friends, <laughs> and you know this about me. I know I joke about
1: it, but there's a secret,
0: truthful part in me that thinks you know, the future will bring the possibility of me being bionic and not having to deal with emotions anymore. But OK. <laughs>
2: That sounds lovely and one but let me not ask you advocating that Yes, I know. Well, here's the thing: when we think about that, we think about just losing the sad and the hard stuff, right? Not the good. That's right. And I it, this is the thing that a lot of people realize is that if you don't have that sad, it's you can't really have the good yeah. either. Like it's that's the. So I'm doing this thing with my hands right now. You can't see it. Like basically, it's like we'll draw you know, charts dra- on. It's basically line. a chart <laughs> where you see you know things going up and down, and you don't want huge like super high, super low, going up and down super fast. No, because then you're manic. That's right. <laughs> but really in, in, the, the thing we're aiming for well, if there is such a thing as aiming, but the the best spot is if you're kind of going slightly up and a little bit down, a little bit up, you have a mm-hmm. kind of good day or a kind of bad day. And I mean, a lot of the things that people really get tripped up by are very normal events that really throw us like they're pretty, sorry I'm going to say this in a better way It's like you're like say you're experiencing a death Right, of course, you're going to be sad, but for some reason, our society we think we shouldn't be sad, we think we should be able to get over it really fast, Mm -hmm. right, and move on and be happy, happy, happy all the time. That is not real, (laughs) right? What we're mourning, what we're upset about, is that we had these happy times, we've lost them, right? So, again, it's hard to have have these happy times, but also the sad, the flip side of it, yeah. And but we get very caught up in this idea of, well, but I should always be happy, and then we blame ourselves Mm -hmm. when we're not. And we get upset at ourselves, like, well, I should be happy. I have this, this, and this, and this. It's, and I can't tell you how many times I say to someone, you know, really, guess you have this, this, and this, but you also have had this really hard time in your childhood. Maybe you've had, you know, a bit of an upset at work. Maybe, you know, you've, it's just different things. Well, of course you're not happy right mm-hmm. now, and that's okay, right? Yeah,
0: I think that um, my shift in uh, understanding what a practice of meditation, or what uh, therapy, or uh, just developing an, an even sense of being. Um, my my understanding has shifted from what you're talking about. You know, trying to subdue the moments of sadness and heighten those moments of happiness yes. to more of a. I get that it's a frequency and throughout every frequency. I mean, you try to keep it as balanced as possible so that you don't have such high peaks and such low mm-hmm. um, valleys or in it. Or get stuck there. or be, Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have that frequency going on of the ups and the downs through the vibrations of your energy, then you're going to be a flat line and that means you're dead. But But... Through that frequency there is a baseline and I try to picture it more of just elevating that baseline so that yes I'm always going to have ups and downs but how do I keep myself to a point where I'm not, my, my frequency isn't sitting so low on the chart and, and then accepting the fact that we are going to be
2: shifting up and down with that frequency at all times no totally, well one thing too, a major part of meditation to keep in mind is that it's being in the now right, it's training you how to be in the moment, right? Because the whole point, for example, with the bowl is you're focusing on what's happening in your hands and the the sound. And so much of our lives is lived in the past and the future. And this is a very generalized statement, but the generalization is people who are very focused on the past tend to be depressed, and people who are very focused on the future tend to have anxiety Mm -hmm. because there are regrets of the past and then there's fear of the future. Again, very general, but that's kind of a, a good way of sometimes thinking of it and you know it's that not living in this moment that really does seem to trip a lot of people up Mm -hmm. because they're always anxious about a future that may not happen and our brains are these brilliant things i always say to my clients that like our brains are like very smart like super iq driven five-year-olds and uh (laughs) right (laughs) like they're so are we all (laughs) so smart it's incredible the things our, our brain does like i mean man we could for at least ten podcasts the amazing things our brain does. I wouldn't be well. Oh yes, yeah. but the but the thing is though is that our our brains they they have a very hard time understanding time, and so if it's looking to the future and it sees you know this horrible event, let's say you're you're worried about losing your job, right? And you keep fixing on this idea, and it could happen. But the problem is our brain then thinks it has happened when you keep focusing on it, and so it gets it gets the anxiety and it yeah. causes anxiety as if it's happening in the moment. And then the same if you're looking at the past, if you keep thinking about an incident and wishing with regret and wishing you changed it. Your brain thinks, I, oh, if I focus on this, you can change this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't understand it's in the past. It doesn't understand it can't go back. Mm-hmm. And so we get very stuck because of that because there's literally nothing you can do. And so you're you're just stuck with the emotion. Yeah. As a result. Yeah.
0: yeah. And the idea of, of trying to be in the now, I mean, um, kind of makes me think of shifting back into that practice. Like they're there really is no game and it makes me think I, I played soccer for many years yeah. and the idea of you know <clears throat> practice makes perfect and in meditation if you try to translate that same theory that you're practicing all the time to try to make a perfect doesn't it's not congruent yeah. and there is no game that you're working towards it's always just a practice and your practice, like it's okay to accept the fact that in practice, yeah, you're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days. Even in in the sports analogy, in the game, in mm-hmm. the real life, maybe maybe that's the the um, equivalent of the game is that like in every day, as opposed to just sitting by yourself. That you're able to still translate that kind of a um, performance within yourself mm-hmm. to keep yourself even keel. Um, but but this idea of now, does it does it actually exist? I was listening to another one of my favorite podcasts um, that uh, I think was an NPR podcast special on on the idea of now and one of the specialists was talking about uh, the past and the present and the future with an analogy of the, the shoreline at a beach and the fact that you have say the sand representing the past and the water that represents the future and you're mind actually thinks that there is a line in between that represents the present but the fact of the matter is that that doesn't exist there is only sand and water um and even with this idea of the now time moves in a forward motion for as as much as we know it, it travels like an arrow from the past to the future and the now that we are constantly trying to live in doesn't actually exist because mm-hmm. even all of the your receptors taking in information, the sound from your voice mm-hmm. traveling into my ears, even the sight, my what's bouncing into my eyeballs, what I see is actually in the past. In order for my brain to compute everything coming into my receptors, mm-hmm. it takes even. Minimal fractions of seconds, but it's still technically something that was in the past that you're now experiencing. Interesting. Yeah, so it's it's weird to try to think about living in the now when we don't have a solid understanding of what that
2: is. It's it's kind of an illusion that we're trying to live in. See, I always think it's really interesting what you're saying because there's some truth, a lot of truth to that. Like we're just what we're seeing, experiencing is very nanosecond happened already in the past, right? Mm-hmm. What I always think about for the now is more about living just a pure experience, Mm -hmm. right? Because really, and this is where a lot of anxiety and again depression and other issues come from, is that we are evaluating, that we're judging, that Mm -hmm. we're taking that pure experience and labeling it with something. And a lot of, I think, the now, and this is true for, again, for meditation, is just experiencing it, right? Like not giving that label. So, you know, for example, if I have a drink just noticing what it tastes like, right, And not saying good, bad, which is what we always do. Yeah. Because it's the judgment, and that's where that, we start getting more analytical, and we start getting kind of stuck in it, right? Because, I mean, judgments are really, they're just Mm -hmm. (laughs) fluff. That's just how we're feeling, right? Yeah, you
0: don't really, the the Brussels sprouts, good, bad, no, just eat them, kid. Well, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not so simple, but yeah. Yeah. Well, because we've all had the experience, I'm sure, where we've had something happen, and the one time we're happy, and the next time we're not. Right, and that's yep. just because our perception has changed, and we're, again, we're labeling it. But it's labeling that gets us into trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, when I'm thinking again of the now, I'm—I I'm, guess the way that I do conceptualize it is much more, okay, what just is the experience at this moment, mm-hmm. right? And you know, instead of losing myself in yeah. evaluating and thinking about it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that end game—that—that that is an illusion, and we're all just trying to practice and experience as opposed to finding that that goal or that illusionary now not focusing on trying to what make the judgment of what that's supposed to be or overanalyze it and drop the idea of what something solidified in the now or that 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 soccer game that you're working towards it's not it's not what you should be focusing on it's almost going back to that idea of having goalless
2: meditation well you you said the s word in there the should oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I, and I
0: think strike oh, one oh, no no, no. There's, there's no
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's no you know no, just, that one. but should is such a it's such a loaded word and it's something that I think gets so many of us in trouble myself included because we think how things should be we think how life should be I sh- and I should be feeling this way. I should be meditating and be able to sit on this pillow and basically lift. You know, th- my brain should be this beautiful, cloudless sky. I don't know, but it's just you know, we should be able to lift off. Yeah. Yes, basically, right? Meditation um, is the key to flying. That's right. I should be able to fly. Yeah. Um, but this is also, I think, the biggest one of the big issues that we face, especially in Western culture, because you know, we're faced with this idea that, well, all things we should have in our life and they should make us happy, and you know, this is the life I should have. And it, but frankly, a lot of times we're spending so much time thinking what we should do. We don't really listen to what we do need, mm-hmm. and shoulds don't usually match us very well, right? Because every time you achieve a should, mm-hmm. usually you're onto the next one. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. And so that's it's it's kind of the same of this treadmill that you end up or, or a hamster wheel you end up on. And so it, this is where I see a lot of people getting very caught up. Um, and a lot of anxiety, especially, can come from this depression because you're you're spending so much time thinking about where you are not. You don't realize where you are. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing that, if you're always like, um, if you're always comparing yourself to and thinking, "I'm not where I should be," you're going to be unhappy because the this. I think it may have been. I can't remember how to quote to Robbins on here, but I think I, yeah. I think it's something Robbins. And he well, was sure talking. I know. Uh, <laughs> he talks about this idea of a blueprint. That we all have these blueprints of where we think we should be. Mm-hmm. And if your is a distance between your blueprint and where you are, that distance is will tell exactly how happy you are. And so, for a lot of people, there's big distances, and yet they could be very happy. But they just are thinking, "This is not where I want to be, or I should be." Is putting it.
0: Yeah. Not to say that. I mean, uh, I think having goals and hopes mm-hmm. and blueprints for the future is a big part of what helps us move forward in society obviously uh but but taking that time like how do you find that balance between uh pushing forward and and setting goals for yourself so that you know how to measurably achieve those and and then having the time where you're able to sit back down and have the blueprint lay on what actually is your foundation Mm -hmm. so that they are one and the same and you can sit in the happiness and in the now or in the appreciation or whatever it is that you're feeling just to just to experience what is actual uh reality for you no
2: and you make you make a very good point because you do want to be able to still strive and and try to reach goals i think a lot of it comes down though too really understanding where you're at right because i think a lot of times we um we end up thinking that oh this is what i should have when really it doesn't really fit us or it's not very achievable in some ways right and yes I'm not saying that we don't aim for those goals that maybe are way out there, mm-hmm. but it's also appreciating that the journey is just as important as the goal. Maybe that's a better way of putting it, right? Um, and so yeah. not, not only living for that goal, not only saying, okay, I'll be happy when I have this, but understanding that this is, you need to also enjoy the journey itself. Because uh, if you don't enjoy the journey, you're very likely to actually enjoy the end goal because mm-hmm. you'll be moving on to the next one. Yeah. Right? So that's that's maybe the better better way of looking at it slightly. Well, yeah.
0: And with both of us working in the entertainment industry, that brings to mind the the dichotomy of messages that we are constantly uh, bombarding our society with, especially Western society and the idea of the journey of the hero's soul through a story. Say for instance, in a feature film, yes, they tend to have a tangible goal at the outset that in the end ends up being either the complete opposite or um, something that was leading them to a more soul fulfilling or the, the, the real um, end goal, which is the the travel of the soul or the uh, just the fact that they were supposed to go through that journey. And it is the journey that is the, the goal itself that you should be appreciating. But then on the other side, we live in a society that is so bombarded with, Billboards and magazines and advertisements mm. that are kind of telling you the opposite—that they have the answer to solve your problems, to give you happiness with a razor or uh, <laughs> you know, the. You're if you're not if you haven't seen the the newest you know if you haven't seen Suicide Squad then you're missing out. You yes. need you need to always consume all of the products and uh,
2: messages and. Uh, everything that they're putting together I mean they're just trying to sell yeah and I'd say also social media is becoming a huge issue in that because Mm. so often and we all do it we put the happy pictures up of us doing you know in Paris or you know where you know or you know even having a baby or, or so forth and we leave out the you know I got stuck you know, 10 hours on the tarmac or, you know, maybe threw up on me. We tend to leave out the negative side of these things. And so we create. Or when people actually post them, then they
0: get a lot of backlash. Yes. Like, why are you complaining? This isn't a space for you to complain. We don't want to hear
2: about that. Exactly. <laughs> like, you have to be happy all the freaking time. And yeah. it's like, oh, geez. So, I mean, and this is... <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of very mis- like a misunderstanding about what life is involved with, right? And you're right as well that advertisers try to sell this idea of, like, yes, you have perfect knife. And, you know, if you just buy that razor like you're saying mm-hmm. and again it gets this in good. no way has anything to do with the razor commercial that i shot a little while ago okay sorry yes
0: uh <laughs> we will about that i'll cut that part out that's right okay good yes we love razors uh all razors, razors. are great not of any brand names but this is like sponsored by
2: and this is the really insidious part though right it's because we, we get this stuff and then we're not happy and then we blame ourselves Mm-hmm. right well I, I can't yeah. tell why are we, we looking back up at that billboard being like excuse me you told me that I was
0: going to be super smiley and probably have blonde hair like that girl nothing changed but no
2: one does it the, blue board. the billboard they do it themselves mm-hmm. I, I have that nice big house I have that perfect car why am I not happy well because you know you're not really enjoying you know what you like you're not really enjoying what you yourself be good for you mm-hmm. right and you're kind of buying into these you know preconceived set notions of what happiness is, Mm -hmm. right? And so it gets a little insidious because then people blame themselves and they get really angry at themselves. Um, And, you know, like I was saying before, that it really can start to spiral a little bit Mm -hmm. because they're they're not understanding why they're not happy and they blame themselves and that kind of builds up even worse for them. So that's one of the big issues that can be there. True. That Um, being said, I know that we both have such a passion for the entertainment industry and
0: storytelling and that it can have beneficial uh I guess
2: uh, effects but you don't actually you, you brought up something before and it's now you remind me of it that you know if we we all want that end goal we want that billboard and yet not a single movie just has a billboard mm-hmm. I mean what we love in our stories and our storytelling is the journey of how they get there and yet for some reason in our lives we keep thinking well but I should just automatically be the billboard Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that is, you know, it, it kind of, I think even entertainment shows it. That It's the struggle. It's the overcoming. It's the working through all that stuff that, you know, that really seems to help or, or that we enjoy. And in the moment, though... It's I the good think, films, the good stories. The good stories, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The good stories. The well-crafted ones. Yeah. And the, the hard thing, too, is, I mean, hardship is hard. Like, I don't want to, you know, but... That that sounds like a really bad quote. Hardship is hard. It's, Hardship it, is hard. It's so hard. It's it's so <laughs> profound that <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so simple. <laughs> but you know, and this this thing we don't want suffering in our lives. We really don't. And yet, we, in our stories, there will be suffering, and it's about trying to get through that and, and kind of moving on in our own stories and our own journeys. And you know, this is but this is kind of the economy of life. I mean, I think a lot of time we're kind of getting philosophical right now. But this idea of, you know, of suffering and the fact that we have to go through suffering. I think a lot of us don't ha- want to have to go through suffering. I know I don't, frankly. Yeah. But at the same time, it happens. And we blame ourselves for having that suffering. It makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And if we can learn, and in our society, we're told you shouldn't have suffering. And in fact, you should put a happy smile on that suffering. Don't start telling people you're suffering because, man, that's just, you should be happy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? And so. Can't go out in public and throw a tantrum if you can't find the right pair of shoes
0: while you're shopping.
2: No. I and mean, that's, it, it might be a sincere, valid feeling inside of you, but. <laughs> and yeah, you know what I find so fascinating? Like, we, you're right. Like, we're not allowed to throw those tantrums, which, um, hello, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, okay, wait, hold on. Yes, from a society point, that's good. From mental health, not so good. Mm-hmm. But, and yet, yeah, for some reason, it's okay for us to pick a fight with the salesperson and kind of take it on them. Which is what we do, right? Because emotions, they have to get out somewhere. And so we end up just taking it out on the car that doesn't move fast enough. It's always about something else. There is always a subtext. And that's where comedy comes from. There you go. Very, very true. Um, But this is the, you you know, these kinds of things we go through, right, are so normal. I can't tell many times I'm telling a client saying that you're having a very normal response to a very messed up situation. And, you know, we, but we seem to think again that I should be able to just get over this, I should be able to just move on. Um, And and that's where a lot of it kind of sticks around because then we never, we are always pushing it, trying to be like, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to feel this way, which, hey, I get it. But when you keep doing that, it has to come out somewhere. Well, I think can. we teach ourselves that. I mean, and you drop the N
0: word, the normal uh, <laughs> word, just to be more thorough about that one. Um, oh gosh. Moving <laughs> yeah. on with this analogy of a shoe store, you know, we uh, we teach ourselves through society that um, we are not supposed to. The normal reaction to how we're feeling is supposed to be more subdued. For instance, if you have a uh, mother and child shopping in a shoe store, and the child is still at a point where they're throwing tantrums. They haven't learned how to control that, in a sense. Yes. And instead of the mother allowing this child to let these inner turmoil emotions come out in a visible, audible, to throw, a kicking, screaming tantrum sort of way on the floor, uh, the the mother removes the child from mm. the store or tries to hush the child and um, in turn, essentially, is teaching that child that the importance of shoe shopping, everybody in that store who needs to find the right pair of shoes and purchase them in a quiet or at least more controlled manner is is more valid than how that child is feeling. Instead of addressing that or finding out why, it's just a hushing and removing. And it's, it's a backwards way of teaching the child that you need to hold your emotions in. Now I'm not saying we should all just go around and throw candy. Yeah, I am Because yeah, like, yeah. let's face it, I think we'd all be on sidewalks all over Toronto just <laughs> kicking his finger and like, yeah, right? Like maybe maybe one day we should have just a guerrilla marketing campaign where it's like this group activity where we need to just start screaming and like nodding, yes, I feel that too, to each other. But it, it <laughs> is our way of step-by-step teaching our
2: children that you should be holding in your emotions, not expressing them. Well but here's the thing, like I, I will say there are times when yes, you need to sometimes hold back on your emotions. Like I don't want to say every yeah. moment It's an extreme example. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. because I, I, mean, yeah, I mean like let's say, you know, if you're, you know, at work and, you know, sometimes there are times when just it's just not appropriate, right? And it just unfortunately society, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, it's just kind of how society works and especially if, um, you know, if there could be some bad ramifications for you. It's you not blocking what... Exactly. But it's more about learning of like of realizing that just because you push it away doesn't mean it goes away forever. Mm-hmm. Right? And it means that when you do push it away, and this is one thing I work a lot with clients, is that it's okay to push it away in that moment, but then you have to come back to it. And it is... Going, because it will come back. Yes. Just, it just will come back. If you don't deal with it directly, it will come back with a fight with your partner. It will come back with a, you know, F off to the... I don't think it's we wearing here. But I'm being very careful right now. Uh, oh, <laughs> okay. I think that we—I will not have those children listening to this Okay, podcast. okay. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, it's doing these things, and so it will come out in different ways, and by or or quite frankly, anxiety. I see so much of what um, emotions, like repressed emotions, it's, and this is just my own belief with it. But the, the those repressed emotions kind turn to anxiety because there's no place else for that emotion to go, which is kind of. Um, and it's a way for it to expel in like right. a lot of ways um, and so this is uh, one of some of the stuff that you know being aware of and say okay so I, I'm feeling sad this morning you know just letting that emotion be and, and kind of bring whatever happens later on that's more appropriate but not thinking again that just you know if I push it all down it'll be fine mm-hmm. because here's the problem too we get sometimes very good at pushing emotions and repressing them and you know I'm doing this motion right now like pushing which is down. This is the diagram popping up. Yeah. That's right. Um, but the problem is if you push sadness down, if you push anger down, you're also gonna have to push joy down. Because you can't be selective. Yeah. And so the more that you learn to be really pushing down with emotions and they ignore emotions, then the you're gonna also have it on the other side. And I sometimes work with people and you see how they are so out of touch with their emotions. They they really don't even know what they're feeling. And it's it's very sad because there's obviously a lot going on And when you get that kind of out of touch, your body needs to find some way to tell you, right? It's like, oh, you're not getting the message. I'm going to ramp up the energy then, right? And that's what I think you often see. This is what I and I keep seeing is people end up with anxiety Mm -hmm. because it's the only way their body can basically communicate with them at this point Mm -hmm. and be like, there's a problem here, right? And so it's just that, and a lot of the work I'm doing with people actually is helping them to feel the emotion, kind of work through it but in a way that feels safer, right? Understanding that if you start crying, you're, you're going to be able to stop, right? And working with them so they feel in more control. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the thing, too, is there are ways to kind of deal with these things besides just pushing it all down. Right. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's great work. It's really, yeah, when you can really help someone. I mean, it's, it's really sad to see how many people feel that they don't have a right to emotions or they feel that somehow it's wrong that they cry mm-hmm. or that something's upsetting them. Or they think that you know there must be someone else who's much worse than that. So what right do they have to be upset? And it just—it's yeah. rather yeah, it's heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Because they're in pain, right? And, and the analogy I always give is like if someone—if you have a broken leg, just because someone has two broken legs doesn't mean your leg hurts any less, yeah, right? And so that's one thing to keep in mind is you're in pain, and that's all that really matters. And dealing with that pain doesn't take away the validity of it. that's right. Because if you're too busy judging yourself for it. And say, how dare I be upset? How dare I be sad? Then you're turning on yourself, mm-hmm. and you're raising, you're causing yourself more pain. And Instead of saying, you know what, I'm sad, grumpy. I love the word grumpy, right? I sometimes be like, I'm grumpy today. What, what does, does that, that mean? I just always like, think it's like being Oscar the Grouch. like I'm grouchy. I'm just doing like, like very. That's like light.
0: hard to be able to. to be rude to people no know? I know. I'm not saying be <laughs> like rude. being grumpy I'm
2: not saying this would be rude but I mean like okay let's say you know you you have a partner right and mm-hmm. you just can feel it that day mm-hmm. right and maybe saying like and this is what i suggest to people sometimes just tell your partner you're feeling grumpy and it's amazing that if you admit to yourself man I'm the grumps mm-hmm. how much that kind of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in this situation but sometimes if I get really grumpy I'll laugh at myself I'll be like man you're just grumpy. You're just, you <laughs> who wants me around here today, right? And it's that in itself is a bit of a judgment, though. No, it's true. That is a judgment. But it's one of those things, though, by kind of laughing at it mm-hmm. and being able to, like, and actually calling it, it's being like, oh, I don't want to feel this way. Yeah. And then taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling grumpy, maybe I need to rest a bit. Maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need to some time by myself away from people, right? And it's, that's by accepting it and seeing for what it is. That can help. Some yeah, percent. I think uh, like I mean the
0: idea of judging how we feeling, for instance, this grumpiness, um, and I can especially attune with that because I <laughs> am so n- typically perceived as a, a bubbly, happy person all the time, and I I love to be a social butterfly, and I I do I do love to keep high spirits whenever I'm with friends. It, who doesn't? Who does not want to be that bubbly person? But I think it's it's. Um, I've had experiences where, you know, when when I turn into my introverted self and I very much so do have an introverted side to me that I I just run away and take it for myself and then you end up, I guess, in a sense, almost offending or hurting or making the people who are closest to you question what's going on because it's, quote-unquote, not you. It's so not like you. And so it's harder to allow those feelings to come to surface and just do it be able to like you said you know who wants to be around me when I'm grumpy well it's still a valid feeling so what are you going to shut
2: yourself in your room and not go out and experience your daily world yeah well I think a lot of times people uh, what that is discomfort because I feel that they need to bring you out of it Mm. they feel responsible like it's almost like it's my fault she's grumpy well it goes
0: back to the idea that society thinks like Oh, you're feeling sad. Okay, we need to change that. Exactly. That's yeah. not okay. We don't want you to feel sad. And yeah. people try to turn that around. It is. It's a natural human reaction because who wants to see each other suffer? Who wants to suffer? And and so it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing for somebody to want to make that change for you. But it's also it's illusionary. It's 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 silly. It's not. You need to let that still have its space. In yeah, world and to let people—I mean, it—it's—it's it's kind of a—we play the opposite on stage when it comes to um, improvisational comedy. That's one of the first things that you learn. Like, yes. Okay, whatever your partner is feeling, like if they're—if your partner on stage comes out with a, a sad character, naturally as a human, you want to say, "Oh, it's okay." No, we can. How do I make this better? Yeah. But in order to show the comedy, the flip side, and and i mean really all comedy just comes from truth it's almost like allowing for more of that to come so it's more of playing the agitator oh you're feeling sad well then i'm gonna pile on different reasons why you should feel
2: sad yeah it's it's interesting isn't it because it's almost this idea that's a very western notion i'll say too is that this idea that you know we need to bring people out of sadness or upsetness very quickly right they think of I always love, actually, the, the Jewish uh, idea of mourning, right? That the, there is a certain time, and it gives that time to the person to say, it's okay to be very, very sad, right? And now, mind you, everyone does it different times. Like, having a set time can be a little, a little much with it, right? Because, you know, everyone ha- really grieves in their own way yeah. and has their own methods of doing it and takes their own amount of time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, imagine if you were able to say to someone, you know what, I'm just feeling really grab today they are like, ah, oh, that's too bad, and then they just are with you, yeah, right? Like, um, I remember reading something about how. Well, actually, like think of I was just watching the documentary about Big Bird, right? And they were talking about uh, how the same character plays Big Bird plays Oscar the Grouch. I didn't. Know yeah, that. I know. I didn't know that either, which I think is really cool. And so that yeah, that actor is for sure manic. Well, <laughs> actually, it's very calm. It was it's a documentary, actually. Um, but the thing I loved is that no one tries to like make Oscar change right he just he, that's who he is and they, but they still hang out with him they still kind of you know spend around his company and all that and I'm not saying you want to be grouchy all the time I mean no one would want that um, but it's this idea of understanding you don't have like imagine if you had that friend who just accepted you and said yeah oh you feel grumpy that's just too bad let's just hang out with them mm-hmm. right let's just watch a movie and didn't try to change you because the minute you're that feels then you feel an obligation to change, and you feel guilty that you're feeling down, and then mm-hmm. that makes it worse. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, at least in my experience, if I just say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty grumpy today," and someone says, "Yeah, I'm feeling that way too," I don't know why, but my mood starts to lift, right? And so there's something about that accepting of it yeah. and saying there's room for that. It's okay to be grumpy. And again, you don't want it all the time. I'm trying to you know say that that should be, but. Um, But it's recognizing that your feeling is valid. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, and and then you're able to kind of do the things you need to do to get out of it instead of just, you know, trying to ignore it.
0: Yeah, it's so easy, especially when you're experiencing quote-unquote negative emotions or if you're grumpy or if you're sad. It's so easy to close yourself off, disassociate and think, you know, "Ah, I'm the only one who feels like this and not to recognize it's human it's yeah. valid it's something that everybody experiences so yeah having somebody say the, share the same idea or share the same feeling or just make that connection it's like I get it yeah. that's valid just having the acknowledgement yeah. it does make you feel a little bit better it does yeah. make you think oh this is quote unquote normal oh yeah. this is just something that does happen and will pass it exactly. too shall pass yeah. but uh, but it I you know, just keep coming back to the idea of like the, the, it, it, you can find enlightenment in that, and, and I love finding that on stage. Like the idea of comedy, um, playing that out through comedy, that you know, uh, I, I missed, this is dating me, but like, I miss my favorite show. Obviously, we stream everything these days. <laughs> well, i haven't seen it everybody's talking about i can't it. i can't
2: pdr it or anything <laughs> yeah find a more recent analogy 1982 feelings. we're talking about right now. <laughs> anyway. you come your
0: roommate who's like oh you missed uh, the bachelorette and you missed the best scene of joey who gets kicked off that's right like, ah you're making it worse and i'm like oh just you know it's okay i taped it i i, I have it on tape and it's like yeah that's great and you I learned how to do the taping, too. Again, why my I and things? That's
2: back in the day. Uh, <laughs> I taped it over with a war movie, though, so it's gone now. <laughs> you know, one thing we're kind of dancing around with this, and it's true with improv, I know, and, and especially in, 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 when you were on stage, is this idea of acceptance, right? And it's about accepting the fact you are gravity, and it's accepting the fact, I mean, one of my favorite things about improv is that yes and, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the idea that you accept what the person is giving you and you add to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think acceptance gets a bit of a, a weird rap because I think the idea of people think is that by accepting it, for example, saying I'm grouchy, that that means that it's, you know, you should be staying grouchy and that that just means that you don't do anything to get out of it or anything like that. Right. And the analogy I like to give is that, you know, acceptance is not, you know, let's say there's a fire alarm that goes off. Acceptance does not mean that you ignore the fire alarm. The acceptance means that you listen to the fire alarm, you accept the fact that it's actually going off and you go and leave the house so you avoid the fire, yeah. right? Like, and this is the thing is that like, with the grouchiness, for example, accepting it is learning to listen to yourself, saying, what do I need? Instead of ignoring it, and saying, I'm not grouchy, I'm happy, I'm fine, which is what most of us do. Yeah, It's saying, okay, I'm grouchy, yes. So what can I do, right? Do I need to sit with this? Is there a reason I'm grouchy? Do I need to make some changes in my life? Like, it's about actually accepting it, that that is what's happening, mm-hmm. And this is what a lot of actually meditation and mindfulness, getting back to that big overarching topic, is actually about. Um, because with meditation, what you're doing, really, is you're accepting whatever the heck your brain is giving you, or your body is having your body. Yeah. And learning to say, alright, this is happening, can I just sit with this, mm-hmm. instead of changing it. Um, you know, and and that's, the, that's the interesting part to it, is you're learning more, more tolerance, really, for what is happening in the world. Well, at the same time, learning, okay, where can I... What can I change? What can I move? Or Yeah. Which is a great
0: area. Again, coming back to the fact that it's it's still... It's not black and white, this Mm -hmm. ability to have control over your emotions, but also organically allowing them to exist within you, Mm -hmm. which, as an actor, I mean, it's sometimes... You wonder, well, what is a great performance? Are you... What makes it so much realer? And are you are you um, exploring the emotion and getting up on stage and whatever? Like if if something strikes a chord with you or or there's just some sort of perfume that somebody's wearing on set that brings you back to a memory that makes you so emotional and you follow that when the scene's not even supposed to be emotional, you know? But you're following it organically and you're allowing that to exist within you. What is the the middle ground instead of finding that? dream like how deep are you supposed to go as an actor and then still have the i guess safe space to come back if you're playing a, for instance a very dark role you think about people who like like Heath Ledger for instance people who played the Joker who it's that those are psychologically challenging roles and sometimes dangerous roles to put yourself in when you don't have that balance, when you don't know where that line is and and you
2: still maintain control over your emotions. Mm. No, and really good point with it because emotions, they they can be very scary, right? And I mean, that's, frankly, that's often why you need someone to help you with it, Mm -hmm. right? Because you get, you can get very lost in it very easily and it can be hard to, unfortunately emotions, you can be very kind of stuck in them. Sometimes because they self perpetuate, Mm -hmm. right? And so the more you feed it, the more yeah, exactly, right? And so it it really some of this actually is training, frankly, and that's and that is what meditation is. I like to think of it's almost like training in these things.
0: Yeah, that's why even with actors, everybody should be training, taking exactly having coaching. It's not necessarily just you know because you. you need training to be a better actor. In some people's cases, yeah, absolutely. I mean, training helps in, that, in those regards, but it's also a, a way to
2: maintain a safe practice. That's right. Well, and for example, with meditation, I would never, I shouldn't say never, but I would always strongly suggest that people practice with someone or have a teacher or, or something like that because this stuff can come up. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes people think, well, I'll just sit and meditate, but it, it can very tricky because you'll hit these I did I, I had to I went through a program to help me learn and to deal with some of the strong stuff that was coming up because it, w- it can right mm-hmm. and so that's why it's often important to kind of hopefully work with someone and like you're saying do the training and all that because and I'm not saying you know that it's you know you end up in an asylum or anything like that I don't mean that but it's just that it can um, it, you know you, you always want to learn these things if you can the best way possible yeah. And it's often great to have someone kind of guide you through it. Yeah. Um, who's, and also someone who's been there. Like, that's actually one of the biggest parts about um, the Mindfulness Movement is that for those of us who are very much uh, very interested and invested in it, it's actually practicing ourselves. And so we have walked that path ourselves, and we're kind of helping people along the way. You've uh, built your
0: that, tool belt, and now you're, you're teaching the different yeah. tools that you have used and that work for you. That's another thing for actors I find... Um, You know when you find a coach that works for you that's great but you should also depending on like if you want to just stick if you want to be a meisner actor if you want to be a method actor uh, you I think you need to find your own way of dealing with it study with different coaches or or find different coaches for meditation and find those tools that you can
2: collect and build your own tool belt with so that it -hmm. works for you and, and like acting, you have to figure out, your, like there's a component, it's a mixture, right, of what, they, what you're trained and also finding your own way. Yeah. Right? And so that, I think that's the important element in this. And that's why practicing and playing with it and learning really about yourself mm-hmm. is such an, an important element of all this. Well, and that's all you really have in the when they say,
0: you know, all you have to offer that nobody else has to offer is the fact mm-hmm. that you be yourself. And that's true in life just as much as it is true in becoming an actor or becoming successful, because yeah, you can collect these tools and you can find different methods, and uh, but you, you can't depend on them, you'll be robotic and raw. And in any in any job, not just in the entertainment industry or being an actor, but I think what makes you stand out, or what makes you successful, or what makes you push your industry forward, is by finding that innovation that is only going to come from you like what yeah. is different what are you doing that has not been given to you
2: what are you changing if you're going to leave a mark on your industry or push it forward yeah and the interesting thing too is that i think in both these realms you're always learning you're always growing it's mm-hmm. not like there's this end and then back to that idea of goals right we think that oh this is we should have a goal. It's like, really? <laughs> right? Like, there's it, there's no such thing, really. I mean, yes. yes, there's this external, like, yes, you can win Oscar, or you can, you know, be able to do a one-year meditation retreat, and, you know, these these things, but really it comes down to is that you're always learning, yeah. and you're always having to kind of, re- and you're always rediscovering things about yourself you haven't re- recognized or realized, and, and so, it's that's kind of the amazing thing, but it comes be the frustrating thing. I'll admit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's. Um, I think a lot of my clients, you know, they, they come in wanting kind of that. I'll be perfect, and you know, I was just saying before mm-hmm. that idea of you know being a robot, but it. it, it I
0: brought my checklist in, uh, where I just yes. need to know like what I need to be filling out. Like, is this good? And once I hit these marks, am I going to be perfect? Can I that's die right. after that? <laughs> yeah. I like the analogy of like the Oscars. Like that's the end goal. Like cool, got it. Um, I. Fine, I'm dead I've never I don't um, need to do anything else I' to
2: act ever again yeah. because I've achieved my goal and that's Just never now happened. I will sit and stare at a wall until I die that's right and that's never in the history of the world happened right no, no actors ever said I'm done ouch. no <laughs> with Oscar
0: the, that's that tangible goal that the hero yeah. thinks is going to solve the situation for them right. and and that's what obviously like guides you forward through the journey until you realize that the journey itself was completely
2: your, and much like acting I mean acting you always have your roles right and so that there's always new challenge in every new role life is like that we are always changing we're always seeing different things we're experiencing different things I mean you know different stages of life and different experiences we go through and so in a lot of ways we're having the same thing we're having to learn mm-hmm. brand new tools and brand new things and it never is quite the same so we use it in the past and we kind of repackage it and try but that's also why I mean, we're always learning and we have to because we are always having to adapt I think that's why i love the artistic world so much and said so, well my
0: obsession with story with a capital s the fact that every story is going to be different you know if it is not plagiarized uh but every every story that you and you you can fall in love with a new story every day and you get immersed in different stories when we're, we're still essentially repeating the same thing we're repeating the fact that you can recognize yourself in that hero because he or she is going through a struggle is blinded by something that they think is real or they think is the goal or they think they should be achieving and then learning that life is messy and it's grey and it's convoluted and complex and we are complex and convoluted beings there is no definitive answer and in the end, it's it's just this story that that you you eat up and that you connect with and that makes us all feel like we are one and we are okay. That's really beautiful. <laughs> we got real deep. We might. Also, the sun kind of hid behind the clouds. Everything started to get a little bit dimmer in here and quiet.
2: And it's like okay, and now it's nap time. There we go. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's so true though with it, and it's to. I think that's the thing too is real, recognizing that a lot is, is a lifelong journey mm-hmm. and then if you kind of accept that then the idea of those goals and all that kind of do sort of fall away and there's kind of a sense of adventure about it and the minute you can kind of change that it's interesting because we can much more change that too, to like okay I'm exploring and I'm doing the curiosity and yes there are parts of it I'm not going to like yeah. but it's part of this adventure of figuring that's part of it yeah and that is what's supposed to excite
0: you I mean you are here and there are adventures to be had what more are you going to search for? Yeah create your own goals, cool, but seek that adventure
2: yeah that's the the thing that's supposed to excite you yeah and I gotta say for me anyway, the idea of like exploring ourselves and our the human mind and emotions it's 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 incredible when you really start looking at these things and, yeah. and, and just the the as you say the the incredible amount of stories because there often are these certain elements that are very familiar and very much the same like their're principles but the, the riffing the, the, it's almost like music right there are how many what six seven minutes, uh, notes I should know this notes yeah. and music <laughs> right A B C D E F G yeah okay so <laughs> we'll get that yeah, one yes okay <laughs> there, there are a certain number of notes of music and yet that is look at the amount of music that is created from that yeah and the differences and, and I think that's the thing that's really so fascinating is that you can kind of the basics of these things but then you kind of explore within that yeah and it's you know it, yeah it's Amazing. all the different colors on prism and all the different
0: paintings that you can paint with it it's like well you still we have all the same resources we have all the same colors but once you blend them and play with the adventurous experiences that you can and in, in music and paint and art and anything
2: yeah. it's amazing
0: thank you thank you so much rose We're, we are going to be hearing so much more from you on this podcast i am so excited and I feel so fortunate to have you on as a regular as our resident
2: psychotherapist to be able to <laughs> delve into all of these issues more deeply. Well and thank you so much, Keller. This is um I'm definitely passionate about the subject and it's one of those things that the more we can educate people and help people understand that the stuff they're going through is you know, it, it's, it can be horrible it, uh, and horrible in the moment, but the fact that it is often normal and that there are ways out and good ways and that life can get better. Yeah. I mean, that's very important to me to try to spread that word for people for sure. So yeah. so thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to know that, you know, we're
0: totally not okay and that's okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll maybe use that. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Thanks so much. If people want to reach you uh, for your services as well, Mm -hmm. your therapy services,
2: where can they reach you? Do you have a website? Yes. So my website is www.kind-mind.org. So it's www.kind-mind.org. And they can also uh, email me at rose at kind-mind.org or even just give me a call. (laughs) My My phone number is... 647-677-MIND. And that's it. Cool. Yes. And we will have all of that information available online
0: for you yeah. as well. Rose, thank you so much for Rosanna. Thank
2: no, you so it's much. okay. This will cause a lot of confusion on here. Uh, just for all you podcast people out there, my official name is Rosanna, but I go by Rose usually for a lot of I call her Rose. Yes. You <laughs> might not get to, but she's my <laughs> friend.
0: She'll soon be yours too if you contact her. Um, Thank you so much for being part of this podcast, and I look forward to so many more conversations with you and being able to delve into all the nooks and crannies of what it means to be an artist in this world and how mass media affects our mental capacities. i Most definitely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our very first episode of We're Totally Not Okay.
1: But that's okay.
0: We want to leave you off with a closing regime that we're beginning. faint singing (laughs) you hear in the background Uh, is the end of our podcast thanks bye (laughs) and we're sniping this from a couple other really cool podcasts i listen to script notes with john august and craig Mason. and at the end of every episode they leave off with one cool thing my buddies robin adam here in toronto run another podcast called the backline it focuses on improv They sniped the idea of one cool thing at the end of their episodes from Craig and John, and we're sniping the idea from them, but with a twist. It's twisting. Twisty! Our twisty one cool thing is actually one cool action that you can take to either contribute towards the conversation about mental health or to do something for yourself to learn how to relax, to learn how to find balance to just make yourself feel a bit better. So they'll be different from episode to episode. But we're starting
1: off with... My one cool thing that I've been doing recently that I haven't done in about 28 years is writing things down, getting a planner and actually writing things down that I need to do. And the crazy part is I actually get them done.
0: Hold on, when you say you haven't done that in 28 years, Does that mean that you're super old and I had no idea, or you wrote when you were an infant and had very good managerial (laughs) skills when it came to your emotions?
1: I am a dance major, so usually I only count to eight, so that's probably why I said 28 years. Damn it, Tom. (laughs) Okay, by 28 years, I mean like maybe like... Do you not want to open
0: up about your age? Because we can leave it. I don't give
1: a shit, man. I look like a baby for my age. True. I just got ID'd at the liquor store.
0: I know and I didn't. <laughs> I actually harassed the we well, I don't know if we should be just talking about how we just came from the liquor store <laughs> to record totally our podcast. Okay. I didn't okay. get ID'd and I called her out on it and she said it was because I was with you. I guess That's a good me, answer though. Which means that you were basically my mom in that situation. <laughs> Damn it. So she was in I look even younger. Hi girl, hi. <laughs> my one cool thing is therapy. We just interviewed Rosanna Zamet, who is our resident psychotherapist, and we'll be returning to her constantly to look at particular issues and explore them in further depth. But knowing Rose and having experienced a couple of different therapists on my own or counselors or psychotherapists, uh it's been an interesting world learning the differences and learning what you can take out of them. Uh the last form of therapy that I was in was talk therapy and That should come as no surprise to anybody that I enjoyed it because I just love talking. (laughs) The feedback that I got from my counselor was that I am a very lucid talker and basically I'm just paying to have another friend listen to me talk (laughs) nonstop.
1: For real?
0: Basically, yeah. Wow. I have to admit. I initially thought, well, what are you doing for me that my friends don't already do? But then I realized, oh shit, am I putting my friends through that kind of uh, oppression? To shoulder all of my thoughts because I have so many of them and I love to explore them verbally. So to have a a safe space where A, you're not going to be judged and B, uh, you have a soundboard. So you're basically just putting all your thoughts out there and delving into your introversion so that if you have issues that keep keep rearing their head, that might be affecting you across the board.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a much quicker way of coming to terms with them and being able to put them aside and start focusing on things that matter to you so you're not getting stuck on your hang-ups.
1: Maybe I should try that. It's
0: cool. I like it. There are many forms of therapy. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot about them developing this podcast with you, Tanya.
1: Totally. I wish I liked talking. (laughs) Hi, I'm an actor. I enjoy scripts.
0: (laughs) I enjoy having people tell me what to say. Tell me
1: what to do. Please.
0: It's a great thing that I'm on a podcast (laughs) that requires me to come up with my own words. Communication. Communication in the written form, or with a bounce board of a therapist, those are our cool things for this episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.